Welcome to Ecclesia Principles, a biblical strategy for believers to engage in God's design for government with Ray Eppard. Hello, glad you could join us again today. This week we have been talking about, about Ecclesia Principles and applying them to where we are in our nation and in our society. We've looked at a few different things, and particularly uh, last couple days, we've used as our text Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Six, Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. And I want to use those again today because in this, we, we have to understand from God's perspective what is the reality of where we are? What is our role? Because so much has been clouded, in, in all honesty, by, by teaching that's not accurate. It goes contrary to Scripture. It pulls out some things that, that are true, but expands them into places that it doesn't need to go into. And I'll say more about that in just a moment, but let's go ahead and read our text. Matthew 16 verses 18 and 19. This is after Jesus has said, who do you say that I am? And Simon said, you're, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church or my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here, you know, we've used this illustration the last couple of days. You know, my two sons, they are in their 20s. And sometimes, you know, they come home, we go out to eat. I'll just toss them the keys to the car and say, you drive, just pick where you want to go. I gave them the keys. See, there's a, a lot of theology that is true to a degree. God is sovereign. He is. There, that is absolutely 100% true. But what we have to understand is God is sovereign in the way that he chooses to be, not within the framework of the way some theological concept says. And there's where we get a problem. If God says, I'm giving you the keys, whatever you bind, heaven will bind. Whatever you loose, heaven will loose. Then that's true. Even though this theological approach says otherwise, Jesus is right, not the theological approach. If God, being sovereign, gave you the keys, then you got the keys, dude. You got them. You got them. And stop asking God, why are we driving this way? Because <laughs> he gave you the keys. You drive it. And he can give them to you because he's sovereign. He can let you decide what happens because he's sovereign. If he chooses to let you decide then guess what? You decide because he's sovereign and he can do it however he wants to do it. And if that means giving you the choice 
giving you the decision, then that's the way it is. And that does not, that violates some of the theological aspects of God being sovereign. But it doesn't violate the biblical concept of God being sovereign. Because God being sovereign means what he says goes. The way he says it is, is the way that it is. Not what, you know, I, I was reading a book one time, and I've read more than one, but anyway, there was one book that I was reading, and, and it was written from a theological approach. And I, I quit reading it for a little while before I ever finished the first chapter. Because the first chapter was all about God has to be this or he's not God. And it was basically laying out this criteria for what God has to be in order to be God. See, I really like the way the Bible does it. In the beginning, God. <laughs> he don't prove who he is. He just is who he is. And see, the Bible is not a book written to prove who he is. The Bible is a book written so you can know him and know who he is. That's what we need to do. There's not a litmus test for what God has to be. The Bible tells us who he is. We just need to believe the Bible about what he says. Now, with this, I said today I was going to get into the concept of separation of church and state because th this is huge that we, we have to understand the reality of this. See, I do actually believe in separation of church and state. I do believe in it. Now, there's a lot of people going around and, and they're saying things like, well, you know, it's never been a part of it. I, I agree with them except for the phrase, no separation of church and state. You see, let me break this down into two parts. When it comes to ecclesia principle of the jurisdictional governments, see, God created four jurisdictions. He created self-government. He created family government. He created church government. He created civil government. All of those have boundaries. If you will, to use Thomas Jefferson's phrase that is not included in the uh, Constitution, there is a wall of separation between self-government and family government. There is a wall of separation between family government and church government. There is a wall of separation between church government and civil government. There's a wall separating all of those jurisdictions from one another. Well, why is that? It's because they are their own jurisdiction. Civil government has its place, its jurisdiction, and that jurisdiction has a boundary. Just like uh, you know, the, the police in, in a city or a county they have a jurisdiction, and it goes up to a certain line. That line is the wall of separation. That's why I believe in the separation of church and state. The First Amendment is really the definition 
of the separation of church and state. Congress shall make no law establishing religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That is the wall between civil government and church. Congress is to make no law establishing a particular religion, and Congress is to make no law prohibiting the free exercise of any religion. Congress is supposed to stay out of religion. They're supposed to leave it alone. They're not supposed to promote it, and they're not supposed to hinder it. Today, through, uh, through judges legislating, we are getting laws that are prohibiting the free exercise of religion. And that was never intended in the Constitution. And it's actually, that is actually a violation of the separation of church and state. Government is not to get engaged in church. Government's not supposed to. The only time that they would have the jurisdiction is civil government is designed to protect the rights of people. The founding fathers put it that way in the Declaration of Independence, you know, that we're given by our Creator certain unalienable rights, and among these are being the, the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that in order to preserve these rights, governments are formed among men. That's, that's why God set up civil government. If a church is violating the rights of people, then civil government has the right to step in on that because that's their jurisdiction. Their, their, their jurisdiction is when people's rights are being violated, they have a right to intervene and put a stop to it. But outside of that, they have no jurisdiction over church. And the things that, that uh, judges, courts are doing today is a violation of the separation of church and state. They are to stay out of it. It is to be separate. Church is to run church. Civil government is to run civil government. Now, that does not mean that we as individuals cannot bring our values into government. See, there's where the, the values that we have, there is, no, there is no separation of church and state when it comes to our values because the bottom line is the whole thing about a government of the people, by the people, and for the people is, is that they bring their values to the table and their values are represented in the electoral process, that they vote their values, they vote their convictions. In that regard, there is to be no separation of church and state whatsoever. You, there is no restriction of, well, you believe that because you're a Christian. You believe that because you're a Muslim. No, that part isn't supposed to be limited. No, if that's what you believe, you can express it. You can express it. Even if it's wrong, you can express it. It's part of the liberties that we have. We need to understand 
that the biggest aspect of the separation of church and state is a protection of the church from the state. That's really what the separation of church is primarily for, is to protect the church, that no religious group, and that's really the, the letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote, that he used the phrase separation of church and state, was a group of people that were concerned about their religious liberty and that they wouldn't get to practice their faith. And that's when he said, there is a wall of separation between church and state. In other words, your liberties are protected. Your right to worship as you choose is protected by the separation of church and state because the state cannot establish a religion. Now see, the sad part of it is today, our country is establishing a religion. It is establishing really two of them, uh, agnosticism and atheism. It's establishing those two. It's trying to get rid of God, or at least acknowledge, or at least not acknowledge that there is. And those are belief systems. They are belief systems. The bottom line is civil government should really not enforce any particular belief system. If somebody doesn't want to acknowledge that there's a God, then fine, that's their right. If they want to say there is no God, that's their right. But that shouldn't be how government is run. That shouldn't be how the public square is run. No, it should be the freedom of thought and freedom of expression within the public square. And that is really what separation of church and state is supposed to give us. God bless you. See you next week.